And I want to, in regards to that, take you to Mark chapter 2 this morning, which is a sister passage coming out of this chapter in Acts 18, because some of the things that uh, Jesus spoke to those who were listening to him and those who were his critics had to do with some things that are happening in Acts chapter 18. And I just want to encourage us this morning, as you look around, you can see that our numbers are not what they have been in the past. Maybe over the last few years, we've been kind of dwindling a bit here and there. We've lost members to death and to illness. We have some who have just fallen by the wayside and just lost interest. And then we have those of you who are still here holding on to God's unchanging hand. I used to worry about stuff like that until I took the weight of the church off my shoulders and put it where it belongs. This is not my church. I'm just a part of it. This belongs to Christ. And Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against this. So no matter what we think and no matter how we grow weary sometimes in well-doing, despite the fact that we're not evangelizing the way we could and should, and despite the fact that we have those who are growing more disgruntled by the day because the devil is so busy in what he does, you build a house, the devil will tear it down. You latch on to a belief or a faith and the devil will shoot holes in it or he will try to shoot holes in it. You get excited about doing something and the devil will pour some water on your parade. You get fired up and the devil turns on the hydrant. In one way or another to take away out of your heart that fire that God has placed in there. And, the, and the, 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 the thing that troubles us who care is that people are being able to do these things with no remorse. Just no remorse. You know, it's like I don't have any interest in the church the way I used to and so what? It's that kind of attitude. I know I can do better, but I'm not. And it is what it is. For many people, it's become that kind of parade. I'm going to give what I can give. I'm going to come when I can. And there is no expression of sacrifice anywhere. And many of us are much like I was on Wednesday. We are preoccupied with stuff. Yet the thing that matters is not on the forefront of our mind. And it's all right to be occupied with stuff. But there are some things that ought to take precedence over being preoccupied with stuff. You know, when we look at the life of the apostles, these were special people. If you studied Paul and Barnabas and, and, and Silas and, 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 and all of those who worked with Paul, it doesn't take you long to realize that we're dealing with a special group of people. They were special in that even though they received and, 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 and experienced continual problems 
with their preaching of the gospel. Every city, the same thing. Some people believed, some did not. Some took it further than not believing. They decided, if we can't change you, we'll punish you. We'll throw you in jail. We'll take your life if you don't stop teaching what you're teaching. And the scriptures tell us that Paul went right the next day or the same day and did the same thing. They were threatening him to stop. That's a special kind of individual, folks. And we've certainly come full circle today because with many, it's not even a preference to teach others about the good news that we've received. And I say that to our shame. I want you to look at Mark chapter 2 with me because I want to talk about wine and wineskins today to bring home a message. Mark chapter 2, and I want to begin at verse number 18. And we'll read through verse number 22. 18 through 22 of Mark chapter 2. The scripture says, And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wine skins. I think that's pretty much understandable by those of us who are here. You don't have to be a wine old to know that. <laughs> but here's something that Jesus answered these people about that seems to have nothing to do with their question. Jesus deflected, but he gave them something that they needed to hear. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this today is because I think we're at a point where we need to embrace this thinking that we have new wine, but we're trying to put it into old wine schemes. And when you have that, things don't work out right. We're just not successful putting new wine into old wine schemes. Now, everybody knew this during the time of Jesus. It, was, it just went without saying that you don't put new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, you're going to lose the wine and the container. Now, I, I don't know a lot about the fermentation process, 
But I do know a few things that we can share this morning. And you need to understand as we deal with this, that there are a lot of things that Jesus challenged that were simply religious practices that had changed over the years. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus said to those listening who were his disciples, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. And really, this was the basis of the question that they asked Jesus. Why is it that John's disciples fast and the Pharisees fast, but you, who are supposed to be this great king and Messiah, yours don't go by the law. They don't fast. And rather than Jesus answering their question of why, <laughs> he gave them a couple of mysterious kinds of things to think about. In answer to their question, Jesus says, well, okay, consider this. Nobody sews a new piece of garment or cloth onto an old piece. And the reason they don't do that is because eventually the new piece will pull away from the old. You know, I've heard people say, if you have a car that's been, that's old, and you go out and put a new part on it, sometimes that new part stresses the old parts that have been there for a while, and that's why sometimes when you go in to have something changed, they say, we can change it for you, but you have to change A, B, and C too. Because all of these work together. And even though they're still working, you need to change them to fit this new thing that you got that's going to be working perfectly while this other stuff is maybe down to 75%. I just wanted to let you know that sometimes when they tell you that, they're not fooling you. They're saying to you, you can get it done now or you can come back later. When this new part stops working or the old part stops working with the new. Well, Jesus goes on to say to them, and you don't put new wine in old wine skin. Now, the reasoning behind that has to do with the fermentation process. The comparison is an apt one when we think about what's happening in Acts chapter 18. And I'm going to get back there in just a minute or so, so that we can carry this lesson where it needs to go today. When Jesus was confronted with this question, he talked to them not about fasting, which had become a ritualistic kind of thing that people did to impress other folk. And that's why Jesus taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, and it wasn't a command for us, but when you fast, don't go out there with your face all messed up so that folk know something is wrong with you. Don't do it so that men will know and see that you're doing it. But have you ever fasted and didn't tell anybody? Especially if it was for a religious reason. I've had people tell me that all the time. Fasting is one of those things that Jesus is suggesting. When you do it, you don't have to let anybody else know it. That's not something that's going to do anything for anybody else. Okay? So if you fast, do it in such a way that you do what you should be doing while you're fasting. And that's in prayer and meditation. So after he was uh, met with this kind of question, 
Jesus gave them a lifelong answer. Now, when the wine is fermenting, they tell me that it releases certain gases. And those gases can be absorbed by new wineskins while it can't by old wineskins. Old wineskins have become less flexible and pliable because they're old enough that they've developed a certain shape and that's the way it's going to stay. Jesus said to them in essence, if you're going to have new wine, then you put it into new wineskins so that the wineskin can grow with the aging of the wine. That just kind of makes sense. You know, so here we are in Acts chapter 18 dealing with two great thoughts that come out of that because in essence what Jesus and his disciples were saying by their actions and their words is this. Number one, you can't put new ideas into old mindsets. Number two, you can't get new results with old behavior. And that's where we are. The new wine today is the gospel. And the new wine skin has to deal with the, 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 the methods that are used to hold and to dispense the new wine. The new wine is the gospel. And the new wineskins are the methods we use to share it. That's where a lot of people drop out. Because we no longer believe in the sharing of it. This mission has been approached in so many different ways over the years. I remember in the 50s when there were contests to fill the pews with visitors. Do you remember that? They would say to us, if a gospel meeting was coming up or if we were having some kind of special affair, they would say, they would sometimes pit the men against the women. Let's see how many can bring visitors. Let's see how many visitors the women can bring and let's see how much the men can bring. And for the ones who went out, we got a little gift for you. I remember times when people got up and did that. Because they were concerned about folk coming and they didn't care how they got them there. Let's just, even if we have to make it competitive with the leadership or with the membership. And then in the 60s, we moved to cottage meetings and film strips and used to teach people in their homes. And then uh, we taught the Jewel Miller film strip. There were flip charts and tracks. And then later came TV crusades and the evangelism explosion. And now we've come to a day like this where evangelism seemingly takes a back seat to us meeting and worshiping. Well, I'm wondering to myself, what will be the effects of that on our salvation if we just stay in the habit of worshiping but not taking what we believe to those who are without it? 
And we've succinctly made excuse after excuse after excuse, and many of the excuses we've made are those that we're going to talk about this morning from Acts chapter 18. Aquila and Priscilla. Sometimes it's provided in scripture as Priscilla and Aquila. So, you know, there are times when the wife is first, there are times when the husband is first, but they were an evangelistic team who were married. And I want you to understand this morning that there are some methods that we used to use that, that can give way to some better methods today. And that part of that comes from Acts chapter 18, where we run into for the first time a male and female who are working together to evangelize. And that was their function. That's what they had accepted. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But let me bring you to this point. There are at least four attitudes that we're going to have to adopt if we're going to change our present trend of not being concerned about people who are lost. The first of which is what we find in Apollos, the young man who was no slouch. He wasn't purposely trying to teach false doctrine. He was a young man who was a sharp guy. If he lived today, we would say, Apollos went to Bible college. And when you look at his qualities, the scripture says he was a man of integrity. He was eloquent in the way he delivered the word of God. And he was strong in the scriptures. But there was just one thing wrong, and that was he only knew the baptism of John. He didn't know anything about the baptism of Acts 2.38. He didn't know anything about the baptism uh, that, that results from hearing and believing and confessing and repenting and then being baptized. He didn't know anything about that. But what he did know, he taught and he taught it well. The Bible says when Ananias, uh, when Aquila and Priscilla uh, walked in and heard him teaching in the synagogue, he was somebody to be reckoned with. He knew what he was talking about. But he had one thing wrong. And the Bible says once he stopped his teaching, they pulled him aside, took him with them, and taught him the word of God more perfectly. Now, I want you to understand, that's just like many of the denominational churches out there today who know, many of them know a lot of God's word. And they do and practice things that are right. One thing wrong with them doesn't make all the other stuff wrong, folks. They didn't stand up and say to Apollos, you low-down, dirty fella, you up there distorting the word of God. That's not what Priscilla and Aquila said. The Bible says they didn't put him on front street. They didn't try to embarrass him because he didn't know all that he should have known. But they did what any person who cares about somebody will do. They pulled him aside and taught him the word of God more perfectly. Yeah. So the first attitude that we need to adjust 
as we become these new wine skins to deliver the wine of the scriptures, the holy uh, gospel of Christ, is we need to be willing to accept teaching. That's the first thing we learn from Acts chapter 18 and those verses between 24 and 28. We need to learn as a people, learn to accept teaching. See, some of the folk who are not coming are not coming because they now think they don't need teaching. They think I've been in the church long enough. I've heard it all. I don't need no more teaching on that. Well, you know, none of us have it all together. And many of us are studying daily, trying to figure this thing out. But nobody has all the intelligence. Nobody can reach a state or ought to reach a state where they feel like, I don't need that anymore. Well, by the very lack of attendance on the part of some folk, they're saying through their actions, I don't need to hear that anymore. I've heard enough of that. And when you get that pompous and proud, the Bible says God will humble you. You know, I often think that probably some of the things that stand in our way, the things that stop us from being who we want to be is because we're not who God wants us to be. We can't keep acting like folk who don't care about the gospel and then reap the benefits of the gospel. We can't keep rejecting Christ and he keep on giving us the things we ask for above and beyond. What he's promised to give us. How long do we think God is going to keep putting up with lax attitudes about the church and its mission and keep blessing us? At some point, you're going to have an accident because you become too concerned about things that in the final analysis don't mean a thing. We need to realign our priorities, folks. And it begins with be willing to be taught. Be willing to be taught. Some of you will leave here today and we won't see you again until next Sunday. You won't attend Wednesday night Bible study. Now, if you can attend, I'm not talking to you. But if you can attend but refuse to attend because you think you've heard all that before, or because you think that with your intelligence, you can sit at home and figure out what the word of God is saying for yourself. You don't need to put an hour into Bible study. I'm not riding over there 45 minutes to study for 45 minutes. That's my gas. And that's my time. And I've studied the book of Acts all my life, and I don't need nobody to go over that again for me. You know, I don't know about you, but every time I've studied the word, it always brings me something a little different. And it's not because the word has changed, it's because I've grown up. When we become more mature and read the same passages, they throw different things at us. Have you experienced that? You didn't see it the first time around, but when you read it five years later, it jumped out at you as if it's just showing up. But it's always been there. Amen. It's always been there. And here's what we need to hear, folks. Don't take this for granted. We need to be willing to accept teaching. Now, when they pull Apollos aside, the Bible doesn't say he said to them, 
you got some nerve pulling me aside. Don't you know why? I'm Apollos. I'm well skilled in the word and I'm eloquent as I present it. Who are you to tell me that I need further teaching? That's the attitude of some folk. It wasn't the attitude of Apollos. He humbled himself. He went with them. And the Bible says, and they taught him more perfectly the word of God and how to understand the baptism of Jesus. So the second thing that we must be able to change, and we're going to have to change these things by changing our mindset. And no matter how much we preach, nobody can change your mind but you. I don't care how true the scriptures are, nobody can change your mind but you. I don't care how hard it hits you. And you say, oh, Lord, thank you for beating me up this morning with the word. And I've got what I needed. I got beat up. I'm not going to do anything about it. I just like getting beat up every now and then. Listen, the second thing we must be willing to do is to let the only standard for our teaching be the word of God. The only standard is the word of God. Now, what can we say? About Priscilla and Aquila went to the word and taught him. They didn't pull him aside and teach him something that they thought was right. They went to the word and we need to do the same thing. When we're in the company of people who are saying some things that are not written in this book, we need to be courageous enough to ask them, show me where that is. Let's go to the word. Let's stop talking without the Bible being open and referring to it. So Priscilla and Aquila took him to the word and taught him. And maybe that's why he responded the way he did. Paulus could have rejected the teaching of Priscilla and Aquila. He could have said, John the Baptist taught me this. And if it was good enough for John, it's good enough for me. But that's not what he said. He took their teaching and did what they suggested he do, and he then went on to teach others. So here's the third thing that we need to change in our attitudes. We need to be willing to accept people where they are. We can't make people be who we want them to be before we consider them worthy to be taught. How does a person have to dress to be worthy to be taught? How do they have to look? Do they have to have a lot of education for you to talk with them? Are you resistant to talking with people who are just everyday people? They don't speak well. They don't pick up on things right quick. Are you willing to spend time with people like that to try to get them to understand the word of God? Or must somebody hold a bachelor's degree or an associate's before you will talk with them? Well, who you teaching? Who we reaching out to? One thing we learned from Priscilla and Aquila, that they were willing to meet people where they were. They didn't dog him out. They took him aside and taught him the word of God. And folks, if we're going to be serious about baptizing some folks, we're going to have to change our old wine skin. And we're going to have to understand that we can't keep trying to fit this gospel new wine 
into these old wineskins. You know, we're familiar with how this thing goes. We've done it. We know how it works. I think probably one of the worst things that we do at the beginning of the year is make all of these resolutions that we don't keep. Right? The, one of the most popular ones is people say, this year I'm going to get control of my weight. You ever said that? This year I'm going to get control of my weight. But things don't change because you say that. Some people say, I'm just going to quit procrastinating. And starting tomorrow, just procrastinating. They don't say, I'm starting right now. How much do you get from the preaching and teaching that causes you to say before you even leave, I'm starting right now. I heard it. I understand it. I'm going to obey it. Like those folk in Corinth, the Bible says some heard it and they believed it and they were baptized. When are we going to start hearing this and believing it and saying to ourselves, I'm going to change this right now. I can... I'm going to stop procrastinating uh, starting tomorrow. That's not a good sign, folks. Okay? Or you have those who want to control their weight, and they talk about doing everything except the thing they need to do, addressing the problem. You can't put a slimmer, trimmer, old wineskin into a new Okay, you don't put that wine into the new because it's old. Okay, the, the thing that I want you to understand is that wine, uh, the wine of the gospel must not take away from what we're trying to do. Now, let me finish that thought. People say I'm going to uh, lose weight and then they say I'm going to run and walk and I'm going to get on the treadmill, I'm going to swim. And, and I'm going to devote so many hours a day to active exercise and never talk about facing the problem of an unhealthy diet. We tend to think that because we put all these extra extracurricular things into our schedule, we can keep on eating like we've been eating. Hello? So we don't mean to change anything. We mean to camouflage it, to make like we really doing something. I know people who walk every day and run every day and swim every day and steady gaining weight. And you say to them, well, what's going on? Well, I haven't changed my diet yet. Folk, if you keep eating the way you've been eating, you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. Even if you're walking and swimming and doing, if you're eating calories like you're crazy, you're not going to see the change. And I want you to understand the same thing about the preaching of the gospel this morning. If we keep trying to put this new wine into these old wineskins, one of which is our refusal to accept people where they are. What you going to do if the smell is abhorrent? You're going to say, you go clean yourself up and come back and we can have a nice class. That's not what Jesus said to folk. 
He picked them up where they were. And folks, how do we get us to understand that we need to do the same thing? These people, Priscilla and Aquila, didn't do anything to really hurt this guy. They didn't condemn him. They didn't call him a heathen. They viewed Apollos as a brother who just needed to be taught more perfectly the way of God. That's where some of our denominational friends are. Some of them know what they're teaching is not right. They may have it 98% right, but the one thing that they have wrong may be affecting what they don't have wrong. I don't believe in cookie cutter kind of Christianity. Here's another thing that we must change, and I'll be finished. We must change this attitude that won't allow us to accept everybody who wants to be involved in the mission of the church. Amen. Everybody. Now, I want, to, I want to close with this. We have relegated some of the most powerful people in the congregation to a position of irrelevance. And when I say that, I speak particularly of our females. We have grown so accustomed. And that, that's why I wanted to focus on uh, Aquila and Priscilla. They were a couple who were evangelizing. And they worked well together. Paul said, they are my fellow laborers. He knew them and knew them well. Here they are teaching a man, and she's actually involved in the teaching of it. And the fact that her name comes before his suggests that she may have been the lead. Why is it we think that the only gifts and talents God has given women is cooking and stuff that's domesticated? But don't we do that? We think even in the church that the only way a woman can be used is in the kitchen. That's where God has given her. And then we allow what Paul told Titus to even prejudice us further. To think that the woman's role in the church is to, you know, to have those babies, to take care of those babies, to love her husband, and to keep that house looking good. Well, I, want, I, I got a wake-up call for you this morning. Because whereas the Bible doesn't talk about a woman being a preacher at a local congregation, it does talk about women who were teaching. And women who in different ways were leaders under some authority. And that's where all of us are. All of us who are leaders are under some authority. Christ over us, us over our wives, or the women, the men over the women. But that does not sound, it's not as bad as it sounds. Some folks don't even like to hear that. Don't tell me no man over me. Can a man tell me what to do? Well, Jesus is a man. He was a man. Can he tell you what to do? The man from Galilee. Is it all right that he tells you what to do? Because he has passed that authority on to men in the church today. And I'm so glad when I read Acts 18 to find out that women were also involved in a prominent way. 
Do you believe that God gave women, some women, the ability to teach? And that that expands beyond children. Do you understand that there are things that women can do under, in the church under the authority of the leaders? Which make it fine. I would to God that we had couples who would go out and put their emphasis on evangelizing. Because sometimes when you evangelize, there is a, a young lady who wants to hear about the word of God. And sometimes we don't have couples to go, and that makes things very awkward. See, because I don't want to go to no woman's house by myself teaching her nothing. Nothing. But it's sad that we don't have women partners who will say, I want to go with you. Sometimes a woman's lead may be better than a husband's lead, a man's lead. It depends on who you're talking to. And we, the sad part is we have accomplished women sitting here. Some of you with degrees, educated, highly educated folk, who have the ability to teach, but won't do it in that kind of setting. And you know what that simply means? That we've made God's law our law. We've changed it to say, you don't have to evangelize if you want. You ain't no man. Well, I want you to know, ladies, that you have responsibility to evangelize too. And if you need an example, Acts 18 is that example. Part of our exchanging our old wineskins to this new wineskin is to understand that everybody has a role in the evangelistic process. Everybody. And if you can leave here today saying, well, I'll get there when I can. Okay. Okay. But I think the Lord would have us to know that every one of us has a responsibility to reach out to somebody else. And the most effective way is friend to friend. Acquaintance to acquaintance. Deal with the people you already know. Those who are in your family. And we can turn this trend around. And just as surely as we don't turn it around, we'll have to leave it to the Lord to see how he wants to deal with us. But I know one thing he said in Revelations. If you don't do what I've taught you to do, I'll take your candlestick away. I sure hope this is not a sign of the Lord easing our candlestick out of the candle hole. Because he's decided... We don't want to do nothing. We want to meet and worship and eat. You know, if it's about feeding me, I'll be there. But when the real work of the church starts, folks, I'm busy. I would come. I'd love to come, but I'm busy. I'd love to come, but I don't feel good. But we can do anything else we want when we don't feel good. Except come to church and be a part. Now, the other thing that we've, missed, that we've misspoken on is we make people think that the coming to the church, the attendance, is the most important thing. So there are folk who will come and say, I came, I was there, so leave me alone. I can't teach, the men won't let me do this, and they won't let me do that. Well, I want you to know we are entering a new phase now where the leadership has decided that through our evangelism and outreach, we, we're dealing with men and women. Amen. 
who are outreaching to people who need the gospel. Not just men, men and women. And we need you to adjust your thinking so that when we come to you and say, be a part of this, you don't use that age-old excuse of, well, I'm a woman, I can't do that. Don't let nobody tell you what God has given you the talent to do. And if he gave it to you, he said, it's not going to return to me, boy. I'm going to work it out. Help us as men to not be intimidated by women who are as smart as or smarter than we are. Some of whom we need to be consulting about some of the things we do in terms of the best way to approach it. Because that's the talent God has given them. And we can't deny it because they female. That's what new wine skins look like. Adjusting our thinking. I go back to my original statement to you today. I go back to my original statement that we cannot put old ideas into this new wine skin that we are trying to become. We're going to have to let go of some of those old, outdated methods we use. We're in a new day now. Brother said, we got cash app now. <laughs> got cash app. You know, that'll help take away some of the excuses of people say, well, I wasn't here, so I couldn't give. I'm going to give mine next Sunday. Well, now you got cash app, you can send it right on. I just hope that it doesn't reverberate. You know, what do they call that? Backlash today. The backlash is people get on there and send their little money and then decide, well, I don't need to go. They got what they want from me. I send my money religiously every Sunday. So I don't have to go now. I hope it doesn't have that kind of backlash for us. But I hope that we'll see it as a convenience that is based out of our commitment to give. And we certainly need you to do that. I just wanted to broach this subject this morning with you because there are a lot of other things that we can do and ought to be doing that would make us much more productive than we are. And I know that it can be done and that it works because it's working in other places. The Holy Spirit will do for us what he's doing anywhere else. But we first have to do what the Corinthian Christians did in terms of giving. They gave themselves first. Will you give yourself first? Will you be a part of this new wine skin that we're trying to develop? Will you help us out for the church's sake? For Christ's sake, will you help us out? And encourage those that you know have drawn cold toward the word to come back home. Will you reach out to do that with us and not just watch us do it? We have a group of ladies who are sending out cards and best wishes to our visitors now people who've made contact with us, and we're gonna continue doing that because we're coming to understand that everybody has a role in this process. And it's not gonna be as successful as it could be if we don't take that role. You've heard this word, do what the Corinthians did, they believed it, and then they were baptized. If you need to be baptized, the water's ready. If you need to make a statement to the church about where you've come from and where you are today, we're willing to listen to that and to pray on our behalf that the Lord will use us the way he would have us to be used. And if you have nothing to say but just take the message with you, then do that. 
the main thing is that we do something and understand that uh, we need to be open for the guidance of the leadership. If you're here today and you're subject to this word, you can come right now as we together stand.